Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of, of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with an ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness, illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Sorry, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The story of Lazarus' death in John 11 it teaches us not just about death, but actually the lesson of the story is about life, about resurrection. And when we think about the word death, we rightly so think about physical death. But I think if you were to consider that there are many different forms of death that we experience in our world today. I think of author and speaker Johnny Erickson Tata. She wrote an article entitled Reflections on the 50th Anniversary of My Diving Accident. And in this article, she gives advice to a 17-year-old who had just broke his neck diving off the Jersey Shore, is now a quadriplegic, so she has a lot to share when it comes to someone like this. So reflecting on her own accident, she wrote this, like Tommy, I was once the 17-year-old who wretched at the thought of living life without a working body. I hated my paralysis so much, I would drive my power wheelchair into walls, repeatedly banging them until they cracked. Early on, I found dark companions who helped me numb my depression with scotch and cola. I just wanted to disappear. I wanted to die. I think you could make a case that that's death. There are the death of many things. There's the death of a dream of a healthy child. When you gave birth to your child, you assumed health. But as sometimes we come to find out, that isn't always the case. That's a death. There's the death, perhaps, of having your parents' approval. Maybe your father or mother, you've lived your whole life with that desire, that longing, and they die and you never gain it. There's the death of being popular at school, fitting in, a healthy body that is now ravaged by disease or aging, dementia. Oftentimes, people think of even dementia and Alzheimer's as worse than death. There's the death of a career, a job, a promotion, 
something that you consider to be significant and valuable for your life, and you find that you'll never attain it. That's ultimately the death of yourself. And my friends, this is why Jesus actually, as we see in our story, allows Lazarus to die. He actually intentionally allows Lazarus to die because we know that Jesus has the power to heal, but he decides not to heal. Instead, he allows Lazarus to die so that he would be raised from the grave. So what I'd like to do is to look at through the death of Lazarus and make three observations. First, suffering is not reserved only for the ungodly. I think we see this in verses one through three. Second is that death is not the end for the believer of Christ. Verse four. And then three, suffering and death can be used for God's glory and our trust in his sovereignty. In verses four through 16. First, we'll look at this idea that suffering is not reserved for the ungodly. One thing we know about these three people, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, is that they were very precious to Jesus. They were his dearest of friends. Next to the apostles, they were the ones who cherished Jesus. And I think you know that Jesus faced a lot of persecution, entrapment, hatred by so many people around him. So to find someone who actually loved him, it was dear to him. Some of you know the shortest verse in the Bible. Anyone know it? Yeah, very simple, right? In those two words, we hear so much about the heart of Christ towards these three people. He loved them deeply, so much so that he weeps. And in verses one through three, again, we see what type of love that these three had for Jesus and Jesus had for them. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. This story shows us that You must never think that to be a Christian means to be protected against harm. Christians throughout the Bible, in John 11, as well as throughout church history, have actually often faced more hardship and more suffering because they believe in Christ. Not protected from harm, but actually suffer more harm. John Bunyan, who is the great preacher from England in the 1600s, He was imprisoned for preaching the gospel for 12 years. The hard part was not being in prison. The hard part was the fact that he was married to his wife and he had four daughters. One of his daughters was blind and without him being there, they were absolutely penniless. So you can imagine the sense of guilt that he experienced. In fact, he said this, the parting with my wife and poor children hath often been to me in this place as the pulling of the flesh from my bones. Oh, the thoughts of the hardship I thought my blind one might go under would break my heart to pieces. It said that his wife was one of the most godly of women. She actually urged John Bunyan to stay in prison rather than be freed and not be able to preach the gospel. She would rather be penniless than to have her husband out and yet not actually going with her conviction to preach Christ. 
This story and so many like it throughout history show us that Christians face many sorrows, many hardships, persecutions. And may I say that it is because they believe in Jesus. We have this false idea that to believe in Jesus means prevention from harm, the keeping of oneself from difficulty and hardship. But that just simply is not the case throughout history, in the Bible, and yes, even in John 11. In John 11, Lazarus dies. Mary and Martha have, are suffering the grief of their brother's death. And they would typify the hearts of so many who face real hardship, even as they love Christ, follow him, give their whole life to him. It is a false gospel to believe that Christians prosper only when following Jesus. Can they? Sometimes yes, but sometimes no. And like Paul, sometimes the thorns in the flesh that we have, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, reminds us that we need Christ. And those thorns are very intentionally there to drive you to him because otherwise we would never turn and yield our hearts to him. One way that I am encouraged by, by our church actually is, you know, if you're not part of the WhatsApp group prayer wall, I encourage you to consider joining it. You know, on it, a number of people of late have been post posting about their challenges. And I really want to encourage you to actually do that, to post not just when things are well, but when things are hard, not just physical harms, but spiritual harms, spiritual difficulties and hardships. And in reading and praying along and listening to your stories, one just sort of flashing red light that points out to me is that while there are many graces and many answers to prayers, the one prayer that I have rarely seen thus far is full 100% healing. I don't know if you noticed that. I pray for that. Anytime someone is sick, I pray for full 100% healing. But I also believe with all my heart that there is something for us as believers of Christ and for that person who is suffering that we learn so much about the gospel and about Jesus when they are in the midst of trial experiencing God's peace and contentment and joy and trust that we learn so much more about Jesus than we do sometimes when there's full healing. Full healing, if it should happen, and it is a grace and it's what we should pray for, when it does happen, you sort of forget it. it. We move on. And I've experienced this so often, God restores a marriage, and then they forget Christ. But in the midst of the troubles, they're turning and going on their knees and weeping and crying. And then when God brings about reconciliation, we just forget him. When we are healed, we forget. But when we see someone like a Johnny Erickson Tata in a wheelchair, and they are struggling and yet full of faith. We remember Christ. And that's the, the power of what John 11 is showing us is that Jesus could have, and we find out he will, uh, resurrect, but he doesn't, he doesn't, and in our story, he actually doesn't heal him. He resurrects him from the dead. So incredible, but he could have gone and healed him. And he chooses not to. And I think that's a message for us. 
that suffering is not reserved for the ungodly, but actually the godly experience so often suffering. The book of Job is a wonderful book, a hard book, but it's an important one that speaks of this idea that if you face trial and hardship, can you trust the power of God's holiness, his work, his sovereignty over your life, even in the midst of sorrows? The answer is not found always in healing. The answer is found in who he is. That's not a good message or an easy message for a person. But for the one who is in Christ who is following, it is our cherishing hope. Next, death is not the end for the believer. Verse four, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus knew completely that he would raise Lazarus from the grave. There was no doubt, no mistaking that. So in his mind, this illness would not lead to death. So when he says this to the disciples, he knows with assurance, death is not the answer. But it wasn't just physical death that Jesus was speaking of. Even though Lazarus is facing a physical ailment, what he's telling us is that there is a, a bigger picture, something that we as followers of Christ, future followers of Christ, have to understand. Because here's the thing about Lazarus's healing or resurrection. It's a temporary resurrection. Lazarus is not sitting here. We don't see him on the news today. He died. So he was raised from the grave, but he eventually did die. And so if it was simply about the raising of the dead physically, this story, it would be a pretty poor ending because you eventually do die. Because Jesus is not simply talking about physical death. He's talking about an eternal death, a spiritual death that has far infinitely worse consequences than any physical death has. The physical aspect of death is a picture of the true reality of spiritual death. And so we know that Jesus is saying, I'm going to bring about resurrection, not just of one's physical body, which does happen, but really of one's soul with the physical body forever and ever. And for those who are in Christ, we too shall be raised from the dead. This is a message that is talked throughout the Apostle Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 15. Here in Romans 6.4, he says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In one month, at the end of this month, we're going to emphasize the resurrection of Christ. Actually, uh, Justin shared with the uh, uh, Axis Youth High School about the validity and veracity of the resurrection. The resurrection is everything for the believer of Christ. It's not simply death. If it was just about death and the cross, then our faith is futile. We should be the most pitied of all people, says Paul in Romans 15. But what this story in John 11, the rising of Lazarus shows us is not simply a physical resurrection, which it is, but it's that the end of our story, our lives, our world, our relationships is not brokenness. Sin, destruction, despair, depression, 
sorrows, grievings, mournings. We're not, our, we're not meant for dementia and Alzheimer's and all sorts of conditions and cancers. Divorce is not supposed to be the end of marriage and relationship, broken friendships and rejections. Christ suffered so that he would bear all of that on himself. The very outworking of all that is at the cross, but it's not just that. It's that he's going to restore and renew and revive and resurrect. And this is what we live for. This is who we are in Christ. When he was raised, we are raised. So we must never forget that all of this, as Jesus says, it does not lead to death. This is the Christian's anthem. All of this does not lead to death. And I know some of you are experiencing what seems like death. I mean, it could be really within some of your closest, dearest relationships. Maybe when you're in the throes or the thick of real conflict, you feel hopeless. And yet the Lord says, this will not lead to death, but you must trust me. This is the wonderful promise of our Savior through the power of the gospel. Death is not the end of the believer. Thirdly, suffering and death can be used for God's glory and for our trust in his sovereignty. Verses 4 through 16. Again, verse 4 says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, that last part, it's a critical part of what this whole thing is about, death and resurrection. And it's one that, it seems abstract, this idea of the glory of God. In fact, we might not like it. We think, what does that mean? But you're saying that Jesus withheld going to Lazarus when he had the power to heal, he intentionally delayed himself two days so that Lazarus would die, so that Mary Martha would be suffering, the very people that he loved, that he wept over. And he did this. What was the reason? According to what Jesus says in verse 4, it is for the glory of God, and so that the Son of God may be glorified. That just seems so wrong. I know someone here is thinking this. It leads to assumptions like the ones that Pastor Ken Hughes addresses when he says this, when a child dies in his mother's arms as she cried to God for help and the ambulance lies stalled two blocks away, we wonder if God cares. When a Christian is falsely accused and pleads with God to bring the evidence to clear him and it is only after his reputation is ruined that the evidence comes, we wonder if God cares. When we plan some great event for God and the whole thing falls through, we wonder if God cares. And we could just add on that infinitely of all these different ways. Does God care when bad things happen? It is the primary attack against Christianity. If God is such a good God, why is there suffering? Does Jesus letting his dear friend suffer and die and letting Mary and Martha agonize over the loss of their beloved brother so that God would be glorified and Christ would be glorified. Isn't that just God being an egomaniacal, manipulative God who only wants to use 
people as robots for their selfish purposes? Is this who Jesus is? As the Apostle Paul so often says throughout his letters, by no means, you know, by no means, no way. God, first of all, the assumption is that we see in Genesis 1, when he created the world, he created it good. No sin, no death, no brokenness. Every relationship was perfect. When Adam was there and God said, you know, it's not good for Adam to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable. And then he creates from the bone, from Adam's very bone. And he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This, this, I shall call her a woman. And he's so ecstatic, as so often a groom is when he sees his bride for the first time come. But I know what you're all thinking. You're thinking, well, get ready for the next years after that. <laughs> it changes. Well, for Adam, it didn't change until something happened. And the same thing that happens to us today in marriage is what happened to Adam, which is he said, and, and Eve said, you know, I think I'm going to go my own way. I want you to serve me. What about me? Like that, that age-old toddler question, what about me? is what we always say, what Adam said, and what Eve said. I think I'll take this fruit for myself. I think I want to be in control of my own life, and you must submit to my needs. And if you don't, you're evil, you're a crook, you're not faithful, you don't understand me, you're not good, you're not kind. This is the world that erupted in Genesis 3 and moving forward to today, what we are living with. When sin came into the picture, rebellion against God comes in. The perfect design and order of God has been broken. Creation, Paul says in Romans 8, has groaned. And every part of it, from the physical creation to the body to relationship, all of it has been filled with abuse, pain, hurt, strife, conflict, struggle, Suffering and death enters the world. So when Jesus sees the illness that could lead to death in his dear friend Lazarus, he agonized over it. He wept over it. But the thing is, they needed to see, we needed to see, death is not the end. God is going to right this wrong once and for all. It wouldn't be in Lazarus. It would be in another death to come, the death of himself, God himself. And the only way God would be glorified, because he would have to be glorified. And you have to understand the word glory, it's a word that means in Hebrew, heavy. It's so heavy that when, I love Tim Keller's description, when a, a big boulder drops into the middle of a pond, all the water just succumbs to it and gets sucked into it. That's what heavy does. When something is so heavy, so glorious, everything around it orbits it. And, you know, it's the force that is pulled into it because it is so um, ginormous, it's huge. And so God, in who he is, must be glorified. And there's no other means. But sadly, human beings, with the hardened heart that we have, refuse to glorify him, to trust him. And the only way we will actually come to do so is through our brokenness. I look around and I see, I know some of your stories. You know mine. It took brokenness. 
Because here's the thing, I'm no different than Adam or Eve or any other person. That left to my own devices, I would never pursue Christ. Never. I have too much, too much uh, false intellect, arrogance, pride, this feeling that I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps, do it all on my own, and never think just because you're a good parent that somehow you're going to be able to convince that child to finally surrender their life to Christ. No way. You know, it didn't happen to you. It's not going to happen to them. You know what it takes? Brokenness. And sometimes, for most of us, I would say, that brokenness occurs through suffering, hardship. The reason is, as C.S. Lewis makes so clear, is that pain is God's megaphone to the deaf world. And it really is so often the case. Now, I do not pray that prayer of, oh, Lord, bring pain to people. But I do know this is that when I say with all my heart, Lord, please help this person turn to Christ, there is probably a good possibility that the answer to that prayer is primarily through hardship. It's not going to be when they're comfortable, when they're good, because they'll never yield, never. We're just way too full of ourselves. I am. I know I am. And there's no way that anyone could have convinced me. So glory has to be the case. God, if he is God, he deserves and must receive glory. We will never give it to him. And the primary means by which he does it, because of our hardened hearts, is through trial, suffering. It is the way our hearts are too rock hard. This is the means by which we are going to turn to him. And I've seen this in so many of you. The Lord has used real hardship and sorrows to bring you to an end yourself. When we ask the question to our members, to our prospective members, how do you know you're a believer of Christ? Now, the answer simply is, I've surrendered my life to Christ. He's everything to me. And it's not an easy answer. Because that means that even if hardship could, should come, that we still trust him. I really appreciate, let me just quote Johnny Erickson Todd one more time. And she describes this so well when she says, I'm thankful for my quadriplegia. It's a bruising of a blessing, a gift wrapped in black. It's the shadowy companion that walks with me daily, pulling and pushing me into the arms of my savior. And that's where the joy is. So often, the way that we see Christ is through the wheelchair, through the heart failure, through the cancer, through the rebellious child, through the marriage that is crumbling. And my hope is that we continue to share those stories, whether it's on the prayer wall, whether it's in person, whether it's in gospel communities, you know, gospel community needs to be a place where the gospel is exalted. And the way the gospel is exalted is you actually share struggles. Because when you come to the end of yourself, you actually say, Jesus is my only hope. Jesus is the hope of our marriage. Now, I'm really struggling with my work because I, I so want to be successful. And that place of success is keeping me from knowing Christ. Jesus needs to break through that. We want to pray for you. 
That's what gospel community needs to be. That's what church needs to be. And the more we do that, who is glorified? Certainly it is not the individual because we come to see, oh, you know what? They're not so great after all. You know, I thought they were happily married for 25 years, but they've struggled a lot. So if they can do that, maybe we can too. What? How do they do it? Christ and Christ alone. That's it. Come and talk to me and Sue. We can tell you all of our struggles. You know, it's, it's there. It's real. What's the answer? Christ and Christ alone. That's it. I look at this story, and I am just so thankful that Lazarus died. I know. You do not want to hear a sermon where you say, I'm thankful that someone died. But I am thankful that Lazarus died because Jesus delays going to Mary and Martha for God's glory. And my friends, I am the benefit of that happening. Because by doing this, I know death is not the end of my life. It's not just the physical death, but all the little deaths that are part of my life. Even that's not the end. Rejection is not the end. Failure is not the end. Sin is not the end. If you have messed up miserably in your life, this story shows you it's not the end of your story. Christ is the end. Resurrection. So if your marriage is teetering on the edge, and the word divorce just keeps going, just ping-ponging back and forth in every conflict, this story is for you. Jesus is saying, I'm delaying healing so that I can bring resurrection to your marriage, to your friendship, to your relationship with your child. Bring hope. Like Johnny the quadriplegic in the wheelchair, like the prodigal son eating pig slop, Jesus knows as long as we think we don't need him, our hearts will never yield to him. But when we come to the end of ourselves and see this, we can say, no matter where we are, there is still hope. There is still resurrection. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples in verses 14 through 15. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. I mean, how would you like it if you're praying for a loved one and Jesus says, for your sake, I'm not going to come. This is something to be understood for us. Sometimes the Lord chooses not to heal. Sometimes the thorn in the flesh is very important for us so that you may believe. Here's the power of this verse is that we think healing is actually going to bring about faith. And that is absolutely wrong. Healing never brings faith. It is trust in Christ regardless of the circumstance. He initiates it through the power of his spirit, and we respond and say, Lord, whether I'm healthy or in want, I am content. And so we have to actually be in a place where sometimes we realize, and the Christian understands this, Lord, even if you do not heal me, or as Job says, though you slay me, I will trust you. Hard words, hard, hard words. When the miscarriage happens, trusting in Christ. You know, when you're unable to have a child, when you cannot find 
a husband or a spouse as a single person. That's a hard word and perhaps saying, no, for all your days, you're going to be single. For the child who never, an adult child who never turns to Christ and rebels against him, you prayed all these years, they do not follow Christ. Can you still say, though you slay me, Lord, I will trust you. This passage is telling us, Jesus says plainly, Lazarus has died. For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Lazarus would die. It is not that Jesus wanted his friend to die and hated him. It's that he would show the world and us and Lazarus and Mary Martha that resurrection is greater than even healing. When we get to celebrate Easter Sunday, it is the, the climax of the Christian gospel. We do not celebrate death, we celebrate resurrection. The only reason the cross is meaningful is because there's a resurrection. And he said, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that we would believe. Our faith is rooted on the idea of the resurrection. Without it, as Paul says, we, have the most, we are the most pitied of all people. It, it makes sense for us to be out there partying on the streets right now if there's no resurrection. But if there is a resurrection, then we do not need to give up our hope. So this means, my friends, I really want you to share your stories of death. Not just physical death. Share stories of the fact that maybe of our helplessness, that we are a people who experience so much hardship and turmoil and struggle, that to be a Christian does not mean that we have everything well put together and we're the most moral of people, but rather, it's a challenge. But Christ has been raised from the grave. That is not a fairy tale. It is a truth. We have been set free. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Never forget that there is a cost to that freedom. And that cost fuels your joy, your love, your kindness, your forgiveness, your perseverance, your faith, your witness, your trust. Let's pray together. Father, we look to the Son the raised cross that all of our sin was born on a tree, that all of our brokenness, our rebellion, our rejection of Christ, our unbelief, being swamped over by anxiety and worries and fear regularly, it is so easy to forget that Jesus, you were not only crucified, but you were raised from the grave. This is not the end of the story, our story, because of all that Jesus did. So Lord, convict our hearts. Help us to have faith, whether we have plenty or in want. For those of us, perhaps, who are really at the edge of despair, wondering whether we can get through the day, having a hard time waking up in the morning, struggling with depression, feeling as though there's no hope. Help us to look at the cross and see 
and the resurrection, that in Christ we have been raised from the grave. For those who have never believed in Jesus, O oh Lord, I can't even do, say or do anything that will change that heart. I do not wish for anyone to suffer. You do not. But Lord, sometimes that's the only way any of us will ever hear you. In fact, I would say most of us have been in that place. So I pray that you would mercifully open people's hearts to yourself and protect and bring about resurrection life, new life in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.